Hi, I'm Allison Gregory, and you're listening to Climate Clear, powered by Area Hub. We help you discover climate and environmental issues in a clear, digestible way by talking to experts on these topics, all within 15 minutes. Here with us today is Jamie Smith, co-founder and managing director of Lodestar Energy, a developer of commercial and public sector distributed generation and small utility scale solar projects. Jamie holds an MBA from Harvard Business School, and he appreciates nature as evidenced by his personal beekeeping and his pollinator pathway efforts. Jamie, thank you for joining us today. Before entering the renewable energy industry, you held a variety of executive and general manager roles across companies from early stage to Fortune 500. What sparked your interest in solar and what led you to create Lodestar Energy? Thank you very much for having me today, Allison, and I'm really excited to be here. I was working for a home builder in Northern Virginia. I was a general manager around 2006, 2007, and we were looking for ways to differentiate ourselves and the customers were coming to us really interested in us doing more about energy conservation, energy savings in their homes. And that got me down a path where I started doing research on that and looking at ways to you know, make the houses more efficient. And I just I really loved it. Consumers were responding in a, in a really great way I and mean, asking us to do that. I had had an interesting career where I had been in these great roles among a bunch of different companies, but they were all disparate and I didn't really have one industry that I was sort of deep in. And so I made a decision that I was going to dedicate my career to renewable energy in 2009, I joined a company called Sun Edison. They were really instrumental in my development, my knowledge of, of solar energy. In 2013, I met my business partner, Jeff Masel. From that initial conversation, we had started Lodestar Energy within three weeks. And our premise at the time was there was lots of money coming into the industry, but really not a lot of great projects being developed. And so that was the premise then, and, and it still holds true today. So before we deep dive into solar and more into your specific path, could you please explain solar energy to people who may be less familiar with it? Solar energy is a uh, clean, renewable form of energy. We take the rays of sun and we, through a solar panel, we take that energy and we convert it from direct current into alternating current that can be used to power all of our equipment and all of our electronics in our lives. The source of the energy is free to us because it's in the form of sunlight, but it is a challenge to capture it, and there is inefficiencies in that. Today, the solar panels are only about 18% efficient, meaning they're only capturing about 18% of that energy. So those can be put onto rooftops, they can be put on large ground systems, they can be put, actually there's floating solar arrays as well. And there's lots of different scales. So what my company, what Lodestar Energy does is what's called small utility scale. So we're not on rooftops. We're 20, 30 acre solar farms. And that energy is typically being distributed in a community form to different people, individuals. So if you own a house and you can't put solar on your roof, you can sort of buy a share of one of my solar plants. And that's called community solar or remote net metering, or virtual net metering. Those are all terms you'll hear for what we do. Well, I'm glad you brought up community solar farms. Given that your company has numerous community solar farms, can you explain to us what are the opportunities that community solar farms present, and how do they differ from solar panels on someone's roof? When you put solar energy on your roof, you are netting the amount of energy that you use. 
let's say you normally used 100 units of energy and the solar facility on your roof produces 25. Now you're going to net 75 and you're going to only need to buy from the utility 75 units of energy. And so that's called net metering or behind the meter solar. And that's all of the rooftops and commercial building solar that you see going in around the country. One of the other methods, which I described as virtual net metering or community solar, means that we go out and build solar in a, in a field, in a place where it belongs. And we just push that energy back to the utility. But instead of the utility sort of paying us for that energy, they actually spread that out among consumers. And so we go out and find hundreds of individuals who maybe can't put solar on their roof, but are interested in participating. And they buy a virtual share of our solar facility, and they get a discount on their energy bills through the production that's happening at the solar facility. So is energy sourced from community solar farms currently available to everyone? If not, then who would be excluded? And is that a regional exclusion or some other basis? That's a great question. It is state by state and even further complicated in that it's utility by utility inside the states. So here in Connecticut, we have two different utilities, Eversource Electric and Avent Grid. Each of them have different rules. And so Connecticut has rules about community solar. And then the utilities themselves might have separate rules around that. In the Northeast, we have community available in, in Massachusetts. We have community available in New York. We have a form of community here in Connecticut. So it is, it is a hyper-local business. And as one of the challenges being a solar developer is that you really have to understand the rules in incredible detail where you're operating. So it makes it a very hard business to be a national solar developer because you just have to really understand the local rules around community solar, the local rules around permitting the local rules around interconnection. What are we trying to protect? In some places, we will have times of year where we can't build because we're worried about bats. And sometimes of year, we won't be able to build because we're worried about turtles. We have different setbacks from rivers, setbacks from streams. And, and so it really becomes very, very important that you're in the community and, uh, and that you know that community. It's interesting to hear about some of the challenges the industry faces, whether those are permitting differences that one must understand and navigate, or whether they're efficiency challenges. As we think about people's understanding and approach to the topics of solar, one of the things that I wanted to ask about was the various ways in which people may not understand solar. And in that respect, I wanted to delve into how many different views, or in some cases, misconceptions may exist about solar. For example, some people think that solar is quite expensive and or unreliable. What are your thoughts about those views? Those are very interesting perspectives. What you're going to hear me say is that it isn't an either war when it comes to energy. We need all of it. We're going to need wind. We're going to need solar. We're going to need natural gas. We're going to need nuclear until we don't. We're going to need to keep those facilities on until we've made transitions to renewable energy. We're going to need coal where we have no other options. My view is we need every bit of it. The more progressive parts of the country are studying the value of distributed energy, and they are thinking in terms of if you put energy closer to where it's used. So the old utility model was large plants that pushed energy out, and they were efficient to build, but not efficient around how they supplied energy. But if you put energy in small amounts in lots of different places, 
there are some incredible benefits around the resiliency of the grid, which here in New England, we've had a lot of storms, obviously, probably in the country. But one of the challenges is the grid stability and putting energy at a local level really hardens the grid and it makes it more resilient. And so that's fantastic. Energy doesn't have to travel as far. So there's less line losses. There's just tremendous benefits of distributing the energy locally. Now, one of the keys to that is batteries, because as you mentioned, Allison, one of the the rubs against solar energy and wind energy is what is called intermittency, meaning some days the wind blows and some days the sun shines and other days it doesn't. When you couple solar and wind with batteries, you really take away that argument and those sources of energy become just as reliable as any other sources of energy because we can dispatch them when we need them. So really to fulfill renewable energy's opportunity, we need to couple them with batteries. The costs are, when you look at them in a holistic way, distributed energy is very cost effective and you look at it for all the reasons that I talked about. So that kind of counters those two arguments. But again, this notion that we should do one, not the other, that's a false notion right to begin with. That makes a lot of sense. And I think your point about the diversification of energy sources and the value of distributed energy is also really compelling. I actually was wondering, since you're talking across a number of different types of renewable or alternative sources, if you could share with us how you envision the future of solar energy, as well as other alternative energies. Are there any new technologies or developments that you're excited about or keeping an eye on? Well, I was just reading the other day that we have 20 to 25% of utilities generation sitting around for 3% of the time when we have these massive peaks of demand. That hot summer day in July when everyone turns their air conditioner on, we've got what are called peaker plants, and they're just as they sound, sitting around idle for 51 weeks a year and turning on for that one week a year. And so that's incredibly inefficient, but that comes back to the old supply model of the utilities. I imagine in the future, we're going to have a very dynamic grid with sensors that are picking up out on the ends of the grid what the demand looks like and are able to adjust very quickly and not only adjust supply, but adjust demand. And there are parts of this country where you can sign on today to the utility to be paid to be able to shut down part of your your load, part of your energy In California, instead of us building additional plants, they take thousands of residents and say, I'll pay you a little bit each month, but when we have that super hot day, I want to be able to shut down your air conditioner or your dishwasher or your washing machine or curtail you. And so that's probably the right model for us is a model where we are affecting the demand as much as we're affecting the supply. And you're being paid to do that. I mean, they they could say to you, and businesses have this all the time, Instead of putting your washing machine on during the day, how about if I paid you $5 to only wash clothes at night when we have plenty of wind blowing or plenty of energy and we don't have demand? You would probably sign up for that. And that's got to happen at a massive scale. It's also going to require incredibly dynamic metering. We're going to have at the edges of the grid where all of us are using energy, we're going to have to get very smart about how we're using that energy. And that information is going to have to get back to utilities. And there's going to be a a completely different model, which is going to involve both supply and demand movements. That's really compelling. And I like the fact that you're trying to have us start to be creative and think about how we can adjust our own behaviors in ways that may 
start to move us away from having so many plants largely idle. To wrap this up, I just was wondering who should consider transitioning to solar as their main source of energy and which conditions would be optimal for them to do that? If it makes sense to put solar on your home because you've got an unshaded section of your roof, then you should be doing that. The economics make a lot of sense. There's lots of companies that can help you with that. But as far as being 100% solar, there are remote places in in the country that don't have access to the utility and to the grids. Those make a lot of sense. But I wouldn't recommend that we're going exclusively to solar. I think solar is part of a broad mix of energy, and it's an incredible one because it's got a, a zero cost raw material. We don't have to pay for it. If you run a coal plant, you have to buy coal. With wind and solar, what's compelling about that is that it's a zero cost source of energy. What I would say is that we need to do a much better job of taking advantage of all the areas that we have that solar energy can be placed in that we're not using. For example, canopies over parking areas. We have an incredible number of parking areas around the country that are really being used for nothing other than put cars in them. Canopies in parts of the country that are very hot are actually an advantage to the folks that are parking the cars. And in places where it snows, that can be an advantage as well. There was a study done recently here in Connecticut looking at how many places had over 100 parking spots. And there's 8,300 places in Connecticut with over 100 parking spots, and we probably have less than 10 canopies in the state. So it requires progressive policymaking to create the right incentives to get developers to focus on that because it's a little bit more expensive. But that's a great example of this untapped area where we could put solar on and it would be a win-win for everyone. That is a great example. And I'll bet there are many other ones we could come up with if we all got creative. To close our session today, we're wondering if there's anything that you want to mention that we haven't discussed yet. Oh, I think just to, to emphasize the idea that with EVs coming and with the uses of energy growing, that we're going to need everything. And listeners hear people say, we need this, not that. They should in their mind say, no, we need it all. There will be a time when we want to phase out nuclear energy, but not until we've grown our renewable energy to, to the place where we can support all the needs that we have around energy in the country. I'm excited about the future of renewable energy. For the last probably year and a half, more renewable energy has been added than traditional forms. So if you look at new energy being generated, wind and solar are dominating new energy. And it's really across the country in what are considered red states and blue states. And so I'm really excited about that. We need to continue our leadership role as a country, need to invest in technologies like batteries that are going to be critical need to be creative about finding those best uses of land, look for the landfills, cover the landfills with solar, cover the areas next to the highway, cover the area next to the wastewater treatment facility, next to the cemetery, those places where we're not going to put homes and we're not going to put traditional businesses, the brownfields, the thousands and thousands of contaminated sites across the country. We should be looking at all of those sites as potential opportunities to grow our distributed energy and grow our energy independence. Thank you very much, Jamie. This has been incredibly informative and interesting, and we appreciate your sharing your perspectives and expertise with us. You're listening to Climate Clear, and we encourage you to check out Area Hub to learn about your area's climate and environmental health. Thank you all who are listening for joining us and tune in again for new episodes.